Come on. Welcome to Light Blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Neil Bawa. Neil, are you ready to do this? Absolutely, George. Great to be back on the podcast. Yeah, excited to have you back on. Neil is the mad scientist of multifamily. He's a real estate investor with over $500 million in assets under management. I bet that number's higher now. He's a technologist, a data scientist, an educator, and the CEO of Grow Capitus, Capitus and Multifamily U. Neil, welcome back. Refresh your memories. Give us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Uh, love multifamily and these days love new construction. You know, I like, like you, George, I'd probably want to do value add followed by value add, followed by value add, except the word has turned into an oxymoron. So these days I'm like, well, everybody, everybody in the world wants to buy a value add. I think I'll sell one. I'll just make one and sell one. And I did one of those and two and then 15. And then I'll have 22 projects in 10 states in some level of construction. Some of them are leased up. Some of them I'm going to hold for a year before I sell them off. Um, and still doing value adds. I just bought another one of my own value adds. So I, I, had, I had a couple of partners in there that wanted exit. So I loved that value add, had no delinquency. So I basically bought it back from them. Um, so still strong on the value adds, but... Um, but also enjoying the new construction aspect and the numbers go up much faster with new construction. So yes, we're not at 500 million anymore. We're pushing 900. Just small increase, Neil. Well, we did, a, we did raise $70 million in equity last year on a fund for new construction, all built to rent all San Antonio, Austin, my two favorite markets. Nice. So, when did you make the decision to go into the the new construction? How 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 and so how how long have you been working on that now? About four years, and yeah. like everything else, it was basically one of those friends we knew that used to do that and had partnered with us on a value add project, and they came to us, and we were like, "Yeah, these guys know what they're doing." You know, we'll we'll partner with them, and then it sort of got the ball rolling. And twelve months after I did that for the first time, I figured. I think I can do it myself. So we went the whole hog, hired the director of construction, the owner's reps, the, you know, the staff that's needed for all of the zoning, permitting, licensing, and all of those pieces and turn into a full stack developer. So now we have, you know, as I said, 20 plus projects in some phase of construction in nine different states. Still love value add. Got it. Nice. All right. So four years, three years, completely sort of autonomous. And now today, 20, 20 plus projects, nine different states. As you continue to add, I don't know if the term is complexity, as you continue to add more projects and expand it in different states, is it exponentially harder? Is it a little bit harder? Is it not harder at all? Um, the answer is a very individualized art answer. So I am obsessed with structure and, and process, right? So I'm called a mad scientist because I experiment with different kinds of processes. And when they improve them, I experiment again. There's no such thing as a perfect process. So for me personally, I am working less than I've ever worked in my life. I don't work Fridays. I play golf. 
Um, I work a seven hour day and there are, there are some weeks when it's not four days a week. Now I get about 200 hours a week of work done. And I mean that personally, because I have two executive assistants and a director of operations. I meet with them every day. I talk about the goals. I talk about what I need to do, what I need to reach out. And I've implemented systems so that it's still me, but other people are doing the work for me. My favorite methodology is on this phone here, right? There's a, you know, all iPhones have an app called Voice Notes. Imagine if you wanted to like just brain dump the next five minutes. And five minutes of talking, by the way, is an incredible amount of content. It's like the equivalent of you writing a four page email, right? I do that all the time, three, four times a day. I'll turn on the voice notes and then I'll speak for three or four minutes. And in those three or four minutes, I get incredibly detailed. You know, op- go here, open this Excel spreadsheet, put this in as cells and columns, call this person, have him fill in this column, blah, 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 blah right? But I don't do any of these things myself. Other people do them for me. And I can afford to hire them because as a developer, I'm charging massive you know, development fees and I've hired people to do those things for me, right? And they come back and they report on a daily or weekly basis to a chief operations officer who reports up to me, reducing my workload. So you know, I think that you know, a lot of these principles come out of uh, Timothy Ferris's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. If you read that book and apply it to real estate, you could, you could go all the way down to four weeks. I, I just find that the 28-hour week is right for me, and I don't want to reduce it any further because then you know, I'd probably be just lounging around watching Netflix or eating too much. Yeah, I'm sure that's what you'd end up doing, Neil. It sounds like it's on brand is doing that. I, I wouldn't, <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? I, For I sure. just this this is the right amount. I need to work. I've tried to retire. Retirement is a horrible thing. No one should ever retire. Um, so I came back to what do I want? I want 28 hours in golf on Fridays. There's, there you go. Nice. Well, I certainly commend you for that. All right. So you did the $70 million raise and um, I don't know how much into the nitty gritty that you're willing to get on that, like how many people or entities came together on that and how that's going. And then maybe what the future holds for potentially future investing. Uh, just two entities. Um, we had done five development projects with a partner in Texas. Very, very competent people, very ethical. We'd worked with them through two years of extreme stress, uh, covid then construction cost increases, then lumber goes up to 3x. So, you know, when you have these kinds of stressful situations, you find out if you're, you know, really your marriage is going to last. And this was definitely a marriage that was going to last. So we said, okay, we've done five projects. We did a a pilot project of 32 units, then 56, then 76, then uh, 96, then 128. It's time to go big, right? So we did a fund. The fund has eight properties, altogether has 1,200 units. Uh, they're all in Austin, San Antonio, Fredericksburg, that, that triangle in central Texas that's very powerful, lowest cap rates in the US. Um, and um, we went to our investors, explained what we were trying to do. It was a blockbuster. We don't have anybody else raising money for us. So we were able to raise $70 million from our investors and be also from those investors that gave us $70 million, then raised $30 million for a seed round. And we merged the two companies together to form a new development entity called Ugro. So altogether, 
$100 million was raised. The $70 million obviously is a real estate deal, just like any deal that you've been involved in, George. The $30 million is just seed money for a company to grow and spend as it, as it deems fit. Nice. Okay. So through all of that, happy, healthy, happy marriage. And like any relationship, take the good with the bad and COVID certainly provided. And you just laid all that out. Um, what are you, as, as you read the tea leaves, as, as, as you look to the next 10 years in real estate, what, what is it going to look like? Well, real estate itself is about to go through its most transformational change. It's called tokenization. Anyone who doesn't understand tokenization today, I guarantee you will understand it a year from now. And initially, you're going to be very, very happy. And there's a reason you should be. And then three or four years from now, you'll realize, oh, shit, this is going to put me out of business. So tokenization is simply the conversion of all real estate in the world into stock, right? Just like, you know, you, you exchange stocks, you, you basically will do real estate tokens. It's coming. It's very rapid. There's over 100 companies at last count, all startups, venture-backed, that are working on this in tokenizing everything from parking lots to, of course, multifamily to new construction. It's, it will hit us like a tsunami, and this is the year it hits in. You know, I've talked to six technology companies that are white-labeling tokenization for you know, syndicators such as George, right? All of them have 15 clients, only two are live. The remaining 13 go live in all cases in the next three months, which means that now, right now there's maybe four or five companies that have tokenized real estate in the US and, and in Europe. But by the end of Q1, there'll be over 100. That you know, breaks the dam and, and gives people this feeling. So tokenization is a huge change. It would take me a while to explain how this is, but essentially property becomes stock. And people all over the world can buy property all over the world using their phones. And I think that's the big change in, in real estate. And there's other big changes coming too that we have to deal with, right? So, and, and it's not good news. And I can tell you this, in the last 10 years, all ships rose, you know, low quality cities with no growth, cities with population loss, their ships rose, rents rose, prices rose. It was like you couldn't lose in the last eight or nine years in just about every scenario, right? Bottom line mm -hmm. is that time has come to an end, luckily not this year. So 2022 is the last year of the all ships rising cycle. By 2023, you'll have a majority of ships rising, but some beginning to fall. By 2024, you'll have a lot more ships falling for one simple reason. Most Americans do not understand that the United States had one massive advantage over Europe and Japan, strong population growth. It has ended, okay? So the US's population is growing at a teeny tiny fraction of what it was 10 years ago. 2018, 19, 20, 21, where each year was successively worse and even sticking people together in homes and preventing them from going out didn't create enough babies. So the demographics of the United States, which have always been one of the strongest in the world, by 2023, 2024, this, you know, we don't have enough apartments, we don't have enough real estate, that story changes to, in some parts of the United States, we don't have re enough real estate. Today, it's everywhere, right? 
that story is going to change. It has to change. Fascinating. So the story is going to change. We will we'll then have plenty of real estate or perhaps we'll have the right amount and then it'll flip. And Not be- plenty. Yeah. Plenty takes a long time, George. But I think what we'll, what we'll have is there's going to be some balance between supply and demand in a number of metros. And then there's going to be some metros which still continue to grow at absurd rates. Like, for example, I'll give you an example, right? So the, the Marcus and Millichap report, which is one of the most important ones in our industry, came out yesterday. It's the one that has 50 different metros and has a page for each, right? So it's one of the most biggest detailed reports. Austin is ranked the fastest growing city in the US for population. Phoenix is in there at number three, I think. So obviously those cities doesn't matter to them, right? Because they have massive you know, in-migration. So they're protected and their, their you know, population growth levels are still going to be absolutely phenomenal in five years. Mm-hmm. It'll take them 10 years to slow down to the, to the rest of the US's level. But the, the cities that are now losing population, San Francisco Bay Area for the first time in its history lost population. The trend is accepted is, is expected to accelerate. Places that are not gaining population like Cincinnati um, you know, or Cleveland, Pittsburgh, these are at risk because so far what was happening was there, there was so much demand for real estate that their ship was rising even though their overall need for housing was not rising because, hey, you need to have more people that need more housing. But because of investors and those sorts of things, that was happening. But as it becomes obvious to everybody that the demographics party has now become patchy, people are not just going to go out and buy stuff in Cleveland anymore, just like they, they buy stuff in Columbus. There's nothing wrong with Columbus, huge population gain. It's the jewel of the Midwest. But I'm shocked to see that people think that Cleveland is Columbus. There is no comparison between these two cities, except the fact for the fact that they're both in Ohio. One is clearly the best city in the Midwest, and the other one is a great American city that has seen better times. Right? And I think we the message here is everybody is going to know this in two years that, yeah, you know, there's there's good cities and bad cities. And this is nothing new. If you look at real estate in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. At the same time, there were ships rising and ships falling. Do you remember the great Houston oil debacle, right? You know, Houston real estate just sort of melted, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, and I think it was the 80s. And then we had Seattle had a meltdown when Boeing left. And then we had a meltdown in Dallas for a while. So this used to happen. It was normal. And then we got into this, this every ship always rises mentality. And now we have to go back to reality starting 2023. So you get one more year of all ships rising. And then just become more selective with, uh, you you know, yeah, it's, it's, we, we go back to an equalizer. You remember the old style equalizers, you know, some equalizer, Mm. you know, some, some are up, some are down, right? So you got to fine tune Well, right now he's just, everything's at max. Got it. Right? Makes sense. And, and some of those things, I mean, I'd love to talk about that. I mean, when I say everything at max, I'm not BSing you. Today, uh, CBRE released a video. So um, yeah, actually, it's Marcus and Millichap. So they have their, their guy. He just came back from NMHC, which is the big conference in the multifamily industry. It was last week. So he comes back and he releases this video, right? So this guy basically says in this video, he shows this graphic, which is just mind-blowing. He says, 
there's a, there's a graphic which shows, you know, class A, class B, and class C multifamily. Class C, old buildings, 50 years and over, not in the right, best locations. Class A obviously could be like downtown or next uh, a train system. And throughout history, George, there's been a gap between in cap rates with the cap rates being the lowest for class A and being the highest for class C. And usually there was a respectable gap, maybe like a one and a half cap difference between C and B and then one and a half cap between B and, and A. So altogether, like a three cap, you know, gap. And that's the gap of risk for buying old assets. And he points out that today, the gap, the total gap between a class C asset and a class A asset in the United States as of today is 0.9 cap, which is why I completely fail to understand why anyone is buying class C assets today. Because you can just pay 0.9 cap and buy a class A asset. You see what I mean? In the same market, an equivalent class A asset is 0.9 cap. I don't understand how you could justify to your investors the risk that you're taking buying a C asset today. So it makes no sense. And then on the other hand, what he the other thing that he pointed out that blew my mind is true tertiary market, which means a market that is nowhere near a, a secondary or a primary, right? It's just in the middle of the boonies by itself, let's just say Idaho Falls, right? It takes you four hours to get to Boise, three hours to get to Salt Lake. Those markets now are under four cap. That's nuts. <laughs> we live in this crazy world where every single branch of the equalizer is at max. Everything's at 11. <laughs> Everything's at 11, right? So only way to, to go is down and I, we will, but maybe not this year. Yeah, I appreciate that. Give everybody a little bit of time to uh, to 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 sell their rental properties in Cleveland, Neil. Yes, and I, again, <laughs> you know, I, I think there's Lovely nothing city. wrong with the cash flow in Cleveland. Then I don't want to bash Cleveland. My my goal is to make people understand that there is a difference in between Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus. And people need to, if you're investing in real estate, you need to understand the difference, right? And and it seems that lack of population has not affected things in the last three to four years. It's my assertion, and I'm betting everything I've got on this, that in the next four years, all people will care about is population growth. They are not going to care about anything else once they realize just how screwed we are on the demographics. You know, I don't want to touch political third rail, but immigration did have one massive benefit. It kept us growing much faster as a company with more population growth than most other countries. And as you know, you look at the Japanese, they've never allowed immigration. Their real estate today costs less than it did in 1989. Wow. Right? Hmm. And I'm not saying we're heading for that world. I'm saying it's a, it's a wake-up call that this can happen to a country as rich as Japan we're not gods, you know, demographics affects every country in the world the same way, right? So I think real estate's going to be patchy in 2023, 24, 25, and it's going to get increasingly patchy as it becomes obvious that certain parts of the US have simply stopped growing. Makes sense. I love it. Well, Neil, appreciate the wisdom, appreciate the, the, the foresight and the insight. Um, how can people better connect with you? Where can they learn more about you? Well, our two big themes for the year 
are tokenization and built to rent. We think that these are the trends that everyone should be getting into. With tokenization, you're in 1996 working on the internet. That's how big it is. It's much larger than built to rent. Let's just say built to rent is a trillion dollar opportunity. Tokenization is a $10 trillion opportunity. So as you can imagine, each year we do webinars on these and there is an upcoming webinar on both of these coming up in the next 30 days. You can sign up for them at multifamilyu.com. That's multifamily followed by the letter u.com. You'll notice there's 20 other webinars there. We do 25 a year where all kinds of nerds, geeks, and dorks gather to talk about the fate of the nation and real Love. estate. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Neil your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to multifamilyu.com and check out the come the upcoming schedule of webinars and dive into the world of tokenization. If you're like me, you know very, very little about that. And everything else that Neil is is noodling on. Thanks again, Neil. Thanks so much for having me on the on the podcast again, George. For sure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.